You're listening to the Life with Old Dogs podcast, and I'm your host, Dawn Mimnaw, primary caretaker of all of our wonderful senior German Shepherds right here at Woody's Place Senior German Shepherd Sanctuary. Hey there, and welcome back to the Life with Old Dogs podcast. Um, I had hoped to be a little further along in this season by now, season number seven. Um, But we had some family things taking place that needed my um, hands-on attention. And uh, yeah, family first. So um, I'm backed up a little bit by a week, but that's okay. That's okay. If I didn't say anything, you probably wouldn't even know. (laughs) All right, so before we start moving on to home-cooked foods, there is this episode here, and it is called Dog Food Label Decoder, Spotting the Good from the Bad. So basically, I'm going to be breaking down dog food labels, um, which I don't know if you know this or not, but the dog food industry is largely unregulated, which can be pretty darn scary uh, for many of us, especially considering dogs um, are, for many of us, our family, and for some people, even their their children, their fairy children. So that's really pretty scary to think that um, the food... Um, the food they're eating is uh, coming from a largely unregulated money-making industry. So, yikes. But ironically enough, the labels on the bag are very, very regulated and very monitored and must be precise. Okay? With shades of gray. <laughs> so, basically... Um, Reading dog food labels can be as clear as a septic tank. (laughs) True story. All right, let's start. Let's start with who regulates the pet food industry. Um, It is actually the FDA, okay, the Food and Drug Administration, who regulates the the pet food industry. So most people think it. It's AFCO who regulates the pet food industry. Um, AFCO is the Association of American Feed Control, and their their officials actually have no authority over the pet food industry regulation of. So I'm going to read you something that is taken from um, the Truth About Pet Food website, which is phenomenal. If you have not checked it out, check it out. It's called the Truth About Pet Food website. And I'll be sure to include, um, I'll be sure to include their website information in the show notes for this. But this is taken right from their website. Um, okay. Uh, the Association of American Feet Control Officials have or has no regulatory authorization over pet food. AFCO is an independent organization consi- consisting of the State Department of Agricultural Agriculture and FDA members. AFCO writes model bills, which are typically accepted as law, state law. However, not all states accept that. 
Um, AFCO has established the nutritional requirements of cat and dog food to meet a complete and balanced claim. Uh, has established legal definitions of all pet food, animal feed ingredients, and labeling requirements for uh, of pet food. Um, not public information owned by AFCO. Okay, so basically this organization, which is a private organization, is, is basically setting all the guidelines um, for the pet food industry, good, or, good bad, or indifferent. Um, and I don't know if you know this or not, but pet food companies are permitted to join AFCO. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how you feel about that, but I don't think I like that. <laughs> I think that, that, uh, I mean, I'm not feeling too good about that. That's kind of like letting the fox in the hen house, if you ask me. So just, just my thought. Okay, so let's back up a little here. Let's talk about um, their legal definitions, their, their own legal definitions, right? I'm going to read something else here to you um, from the same site that I was just telling you about. Uh, so they have their own definitions of ingredients for dog food, which may not be what you or I would think the definitions should be. For example, um, <clears throat> and I'm reading this here. Uh, for example, cows become beef because they die in a slaughterhouse and then they're either, either labeled for human consumption or they're, contam <laughs> they're contaminated. <laughs> Mikey, my, ah, one of the sanctuary kitties here, he likes to get on it, get in on uh, the videos here um, so whatever goes to contamination goes into animal feed, right? That's so, and when we talk about contamination, um, it could be pretty bad or it could be like a tumor on a leg of the cow that didn't get accepted for, um, human consumption. So it went, uh, it got, you know, nixed and went to the contamination side, if you will, the slaughterhouse. But that doesn't mean that the whole cow is sick. Um, there's still probably good meat on there that could be used. So it's not all bad, but <clears throat> here's the kicker. AFCO says for feed, pet food, cows don't have to die via slaughter. They can already be dead from disease. And then that's going into your dog or cat food. So that animal is already dead from disease. Okay. That's, that's, that just angers me. That just angers me. Especially because, um, again, getting back to the marketing tactics of the, the big pet food manufacturers that I was talking about in the first um, episode of this podcast or this season, um, season seven. You know, they'll place a big old piece of juicy red meat on the bag with a bunch of, you know, healthy and delicious and vibrant colored fruits and vegetables and sweet potatoes and, and stuff like that because they, they want you to believe that's what's in the bag. But it could actually be 
a diseased animal that your 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 dog is getting a part of. And and you know, as I indicated, that angers me. It should anger you as well, um, because once again, you know, we it's not cheap, right? And we work hard for our money, and we want what's best for our dogs and our cats, and we're being bamboozled. You know, by some of these these companies, not all, but some of these companies that are making these um, these pet food products. Now, the interesting fact about a pet food label, dog food, cat food, is it happens to be a legal document. Okay, but again, there's there's shades of gray. There's there's definitely um, interesting twists and turns that take place on these labels um, in terms of the ingredients or how the ingredients are laid out in the list of ingredients, which can be very, very deceptive. So I'm trying to help you today learn how to read this legal document on the back of your your dog food bag and know what to look for um, so you're not being bamboozled too. Okay, so on every, every uh, let's say dog, let's just say kibble, every dog food bag, um, the label has to include the name of the product, um, the brand, um, whether it's what species it's appropriate for, a list of the ingredients, um, the guaranteed analysis, the nutritional adequacy statement, feeding, uh, feeding directions, a calorie statement, and it should have the manufacturer's information on on there as well. And I'm going to incorporate a, a picture um, in the show notes if I can, so you can see what I'm talking about. But I did print it out there. Just going to hold that up for you so you could see. That's a pretty good label right there. Okay, and it has everything that um, it should legally have on there. Now, ironically, um, pet food labels, they basically provide um, limited nutritional information, and they only really focus on the basic or minimum nutrient levels. All right, so let's, let's jump into the ingredient analysis portion of the label. Now, this in, this <clears throat> in and of itself could be it can be pretty overwhelming and confusing, especially when words are being used that shouldn't, that don't even sound like something your dog should be eating, or you're seeing um, something like ingredients splitting, which I will get into. But the the ingredient analysis is actually the most important part of the dog food label. And all ingredients must be listed in descending order according to weight. And each ingredient must be listed individually. All right. And this, this kind of helps with the ingredient splitting here, which was, it's really, it's really pretty sleazy. <laughs> but again, I'm going to get into that in a second. And they also have to be listed according to the AFCO re regulations, and I'm going to read it right here. Terms describing collective ingredients such as animal protein product are not allowed. In addition, ingredients must be listed by their common or usual name. 
the AFCO, uh, yeah, the AFCO has detailed list of ingredients, their common names, and what they contain. All right, so I'm going to give you some tips on what you should be looking for in the ingredient analysis. You want to be looking for protein, fiber, fat, and water. Okay, and the breakdown of that should be listed in the guaranteed analysis. Okay, that's that's the part of the pet food label that kind of looks like a um, a report card, if you will. And again, it tells you how much protein, how much fat, um, how much fiber, and how much water is in the bag or canned uh, can of dog food, um, along with some other uh, additional information. Um, for example, the protein part. If if it says uh, on the bag that it contains 10% protein, um, the guaranteed analysis will make sure that it reads 10% protein. And, and the guaranteed analysis is also designed to make sure that your dog is not missing important uh, nutrients. The idea is so you could look at that guaranteed analysis and be assured that uh, it is completely balanced and has everything that your dog needs. That's what it's supposed to do. <laughs> All right, back to the ingredients. Um, <clears throat> when you start looking at the list of ingredients, uh, the first few are the by far the most significant in the whole bag of kibble or canned um, can of food or however it is or, or what however it is you're feeding your dog. But the first few ingredients um, are the most important and, and you want them to be the highest quality um, since they're the most. They make up the most of the bag. I'll just stick with kibble since they make up the most of the bag of food. Okay, so typically the very first ingredient is is the meat source, um, whether, you know, be like beef or chicken or, or whatever. And <clears throat> you, you really, really want that to say beef or, or chicken, not, not, you know, meat byproduct or meal or something along those lines. You really want it to be that one ingredient, beef, chicken, duck, venison, whatever, um, but you don't want it to say meat byproduct or meal. All right. That's, that's, uh, that's diluting the quality of the food down when it, when it's being broken down into like a meat byproduct or a meal. Now that's not to say all byproduct is bad. I mean, liver is a byproduct, right? Like from, from a, um, chicken liver, beef liver, whatever. Um, that's a byproduct and, and it certainly isn't bad. But most byproducts are empty byproducts with no real nutritional value for your dog. And they're just used as fillers because they're readily available and they're cheap. Okay. And, and you want to look for ingredients like real beef, real chicken, real rabbit, real duck that are going to provide nutritional value for your dog. All right. Now I'm going to let you in on a little, little, little dirty secret here. <laughs> um, let's talk about ingredient splitting because I, I just, I just mentioned to you that the first few ingredients are the most important and you want, um, you want that beef or real meat to be predominant. Okay, 
predominant source of protein that is. Um, ingredient splitting. It's, it's a common practice in the pet food industry where they, they split like a, it's pretty much a cheaper ingredient, like a, like peas, um, into, um, several different smaller components. Okay. Um, like you might see, I wrote a couple down here, um, like pea powder, pea protein, peas, pea starch. <laughs> I mean, you you may see like sub ingredients like that, but they're all really peas, okay, or a derivative of peas. So you you're looking at this bag and you're thinking, I'm getting this much beef in this bag. Um, and this is going to be great for my dog. But really, what you're getting is a lot of peas in, in that bag, but they're just listed. Um, they're just listed differently. They're not like, because if they, if they, if they just said peas, then that would be the number one ingredient. Um, this is, this is why I think ingredient splitting is, is just really, it's really seedy and it's really deceptive. Again, because you're not seeing on the bag a bunch of peas. <laughs> you might see some peas, but primarily it's that big old juicy piece of red meat or chicken breast or whatever that, you know, takes um, center stage. But then when you actually start reading the the ingredients and, and you may see it, like I said, excuse me, pea protein, pea flour, pea starch, pea fiber, peas. Um, wheat is another one that they'll do that with, uh, corn is another one, another ingredient that they'll, they'll, um, ingredient split in the, on the label. Okay. Again, the reason, the reason that they do that is because they're masking the masking, um, the presence of all the peas or corn or wheat, um, that are taking up a bulk of the ingredients on the label and in that bag of dog food. Um, to maximize profits while they're basically um, diluting the quality of the food. And w what's worse is, um, you know, your dog could have allergies or food sensitivity. Um, and, and then here, it, peas could be one of those things that your dog's allergic to. And then he's being inundated with pea product in this bag of food and you don't even realize it because you haven't really read the label to see that there's all these, you know, different um, smaller components of peas in, in that bag of dog food. So, um, you know, and, and two, what's worse is the fact that it totally takes away from um, meeting your dog's nutritional needs when basically this is allowed to happen. So look at it this way. You buy a bag of food. It has meat byproduct or meat meal or something like that as the first ingredient. And then it has a slew of these um, smaller pea components, pea protein, pea flour, pea starch, pea fiber, peas. So basically then when your dog is eating is 80% peas and 20% poor quality meat. Um, 
no wonder there's such a high rate of, of things like allergies, autoimmune disease, and even cancer. All right, here's another thing about the ingredient list. The further down you go, the smaller the ingredient is in the bag. So um, let's just say one of their marketing techniques is you know loaded with antioxidants. And um, of course, on the bag, they have pictures of blueberries or something, nice, lush, juicy, plump blueberries. And you're thinking, oh, you know, blueberries are good, right? Load it with antioxidants, just going to be great for your dog, lots of vitamins and stuff like that. And you're feeling good about it. But let's just say it's listed way far down after salt. And I'm going to get into salt here in a second. Well, you could have, you know, like I said in the other podcast, you could have um, a 40 pound bag of kibble with you know, a blueberry in it, basically. <laughs> it's like, that's that's nothing, really. Um, but again, it's in there, right? You stuck that one blueberry in that bag, you know, mixed it all up with all the rest of the food, cooked the crap out of it. And uh, yeah, they put it in there, no doubt about that. But it's not, it's not going to be any benefit. Your dog's not going to get any benefit from it, like you're thinking they're going to get. So um, <clears throat> be mindful of that. The further down the list of ingredients, the smaller the amount in the bag is. Now, I'm going to tell you about the salt divider rule, okay? The salt divider rule was coined by Dr. Marion Nestle, and I'm going to read it to you. Essentially, it says that because pet foods generally use similar formulas set by AFCO standards, consumers can establish a rule of thumb. Any ingredient that follows salt in the ingredient label must make up less than 1% of the diet, okay? Any ingredient after salt only makes up 1% of the diet, all right? So that's what I was telling you about the blueberry. <laughs> if it comes after salt, you got one blueberry and a 40-pound bag of food, <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> I just want to back up a second. I don't want you thinking I'm hating on peas or anything like that. Um, they do have nutritional values such as uh, mag manganese, phytonutrients, and fiber. <laughs> um, but just like anything, they do need to be served in moderation, and they certainly shouldn't be making up 80% of our dog's meal. Okay, so be, before I move on to the um, nutritional adequacy statement, I, I do want to read something else to you um, from from AFCO. So it's all in the wording, okay? Um, there's more to the product name than clever marketing. The name will actually give you the first clue about the ingredients because so many pet owners base their buying decision on specific ingredients. Brands will try to highlight the ingredients in the product name, but it's all in the wording. AFCO has four rules. <clears throat> Here we go. The 95% rule. At least 95% of the product must be named, must be the named ingredient for example, chicken for dogs or salmon for cats um, must be at least 95% of chicken or salmon, respectively. In addition, this main product must be at least 70% of the pr total product when counting or 
Yeah, when counting the added water, that's typically for canned food. According to AFCO regulations, the, the remaining 5% of the ingredients will be those <clears throat> excuse me, required for nutritional reasons such as vitamins and minerals and a small amount of any other ingredient. All right, that's the 95% rule. That's a pretty good rule. All right, the 25% rule. When you see products named beef dinner for dogs, chicken and sweet potato entree, or lamb platter, for example, um, this is the 25% rule in action. Um, if the named ingredients compromise at least 25% of the product, not counting the water for processing, but less than 95%, the product must include a qualifying term such as dinner, entree, or platter, okay? Counting the added water, the ingredient, the named ingredient still must compromise 10% of the product if more than one ingredient is included in the dinner, the combination of the named ingredients must total 25% of the product and be listed in the same order found in the ingredients. Okay, so basically any bag or can of dog food, cat food, whatever that has meal, platter, or entree most likely only contains about 25% of meat, and we're not even sure really what whether that's quality meat or not, um, unless it is canned um, with water, then um, about 10%, which makes the meat almost non-existent for our dogs. I mean, <laughs> really, like what is in that food? That's, that's horrible, horrible. All right, so you're best to stick with one meat source um, that should be 95% of the ingredients or, or possibly two meat sources, like maybe chicken and duck or something like that, but they still should equal 95% of the ingredients. Okay, rule number three is the WITH rule, W-I-T-H rule, and I'm going to read it to you. When you see a dog food label such as doggy dinner with beef, beef, the with ingredient needs to only be 3% of the product. Just the addition of the one word with dramatically changes the percent requirement of the ingredient in dog food and is a good reason to pay attention to the product name with. Remember that, okay? You need to steer clear of that one, that's for sure. Okay, because if your dog's only getting 3% of meat in that <laughs> bag of food, that means that means the rest of it is just filled with junk. The peas, uh, pea starch, pea protein, pea powder, corn, wheat, all that stuff. That's just awful. That's just freaking terrible. And so it just makes me sick. It really does. How deceptive some of these larger food manufacturer companies are. And the last one is the flavor rule. And I'm going to read it to you. Again, I'm, I'm reading these right, right to you. <laughs> these aren't my words. These, these are uh, AFCOs. The flavor rule. According to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, if the label says beef flavor dog food, then a specific percentage of the beef is not required, but the product must contain an amount sufficient 
to be able to be detected. <laughs> In this example, the word flavor must appear on the label in the same size, style, and color as the word beef. Okay, what the hell? (laughs) I'm just appalled. I'm appalled. Really, just mind-blown appalled. If the bag reads flavor like chicken flavor, then there doesn't have to be any chicken in the ingredient at all. It's just something minute just to be detected, basically. So who knows? And who knows what what even... So there's nothing in there. It's just something that they flavored to taste like chicken. And it's most likely soy or corn or wheat or something along those lines or roadkill. Who the hell knows at this point? I don't even know. And we don't even know what the flavoring is made out of. I mean, it could be broth of some sort. It could be a byproduct of some sort. It could even be a chemical. That just makes me so mad. That just makes me so mad. And and this is exactly why you have to know how to read the bag, all right? Because I think a lot of us just go in the store, grab what we're used to, don't even read that back, uh, ingredients um, analysis or the guarantee analysis um, or the nutritional adequacy statement or whatever. And we need to. We really do. And we have to know how to break down the ingredient label and know things like ingredient splitting and the salt rule and and the salt rule divider and, and things of that nature, folks. Flavoring? Not even not even dog food. It's not even dog food. All right. So we're going to move on to the nutritional adequacy statement. I actually had to take like a break there because I was just so heated. I mean, I've already I've I've already put all this information together, um, but it still makes me angry when um, I, I don't like being bamboozled. <laughs> Me personally, I do not like being bamboozled at all, and I certainly um, don't like being bamboozled when, um, you know, furry family that I care for is it could potentially be harmed as as a result of um, someone else's greed, um, and and that just really it just really got me upset. So I needed to take a break for a minute. All right. So basically the nutritional adequacy statement, it's telling you um, the amount of nutrition um, the the dog food contains. And and of course, many claim to be um, completely balanced or 100% nutritious, things of that nature, marketing terms of that nature. Um. But they're not really just marketing terms um, in the nutritional adequacy statement because it's supposed to mean that the food has met a specific government standard and actually does provide a complete, you know, complete balanced nutrition um, for all stages of an adult dog's life or, you know, for puppies or, or seniors or, you know, cats. And, and basically, um, they have to prove that the food does contain a proper amount of the ratio of essential nutrients um, for the needs of 
the dog for for the needs of the dog um, to be healthy. Okay, and and as I just mentioned there, oftentimes the nutritional adequacy statement um, does identify life stages. Life, I'm sorry, <laughs> the life stage. Um, the food is appropriate for, uh, for instance, like I just mentioned, it could be all life stages or, or puppies like growth, um, or, uh, weight maintenance or, um, or, you know, senior and geriatric, but ironically, that's not really true for seniors and, um, geriatric dogs because, um, this is, this is from the FDA. Okay, I'm going to read this to you from the FDA. There is little information as to the true diet needs of these more specific uses, and no rules governing these types of statements have been established. Thus, a senior diet must meet the requirements for, an adult, for adult maintenance, but no more. All right, so when you think you're buying um, that big old bag of dog food for your aging dog, um, it may have the nutritional adequacy adequacy statement on the back, but it just has to be for an adult dog. It really doesn't have to be for a senior dog. And if it's from the big conglomerate um, pet food manufacturers, it probably it, it probably doesn't. All right. Next up on the label will be the um, feeding feeding guidelines and directions. And um, just a little fun fact for you. Um, the feeding directions and guidelines, they're not regulated. <laughs> Regardless of what the package says, um, they're not regulated. But this portion of the label, it's really straightforward. I'm sure you've all seen it. You know, the label tells you how much food your your dog should be um, having daily um, based on their their weight, um, their their you know size, uh, their activity level, um, things of that nature. But of course, we all know that there are other factors that may influence their their food intake, um, whether maybe. Um, they have something like a thyroid issue uh, that's, you know, or, or Cushing's disease or something along those lines. So, um, for instance, I have um, Nona and Savvy here, and they're they're about the same weight. They're both about 80-pound German Shepherds. Um, they're both around the same age, 11, 12 years old. Um, Nona actually gets a little bit more than Savvy in terms of food because she's, she burns it off quicker and, um, she's a little more neurotic. (laughs) She's, she's definitely more nervous. Uh, anytime a dog, uh, any of the other residents get up or I get up or something, she automatically jumps up and thinks we're doing something where savvy really doesn't. So, um, you, you know, this this is subjective, the feeding guidelines, right? And oftentimes on, on the label itself, it will give you um, really like about maybe a quarter of a cup to a half a cup um, playroom for like, you know, an 80-pound dog or something like that. Um, so it's pretty straightforward, this, this part of the label. All right, but basically... Um, these guidelines are also put into place to ensure that um, your dog's 
nutritional needs are being met. And basically they're saying if you have an 80 pound dog, um, they're, they're most likely going to need four and a half cups of this kibble every day to make sure that those, uh, nutritional needs are met. Um, but again, if, you know, you're buying a low quality dog food, they're probably not being met anyway. This is why I really, really stress if, first of all, home cook or even raw, dehydrated, freeze dried, (laughs) you know, all those good um, variations of dog food. Um, But if you are going to do kibble um, or canned, not not opposed to canned, but if you are going to do kibble or or canned, mostly kibble, please make sure it is a high quality, um, high quality bag of food with a single source of protein or, or two, like I said, chicken or duck not with a whole bunch of split ingredients, not with uh, the antioxidants listed below salt. <laughs> you know, you want you want to make sure it's it's what you're you're thinking you're getting and and um, you're able to feel good about giving it to your dog. You know, and the, the protein part, it's just so important. It's it's where they get, um, you know, their their amino acids from. um it, it helps with maintenance and, and growth, especially for, for puppies, um, growth of, of muscle tissue, organs, and uh, other body structures, um, and, and energy. You know, they, that's where they get their energy to, to play and exercise. So you, you want to make sure they're getting, they're getting high-quality protein in their, their dog food, especially because, like I mentioned before with kibble, I mean, it's just – Unfortunately, again, cooked at such a high rate and a high temperature that it's really, you know, depleting nutrients as they're processing it. So um, got to make sure that bag is the highest quality you could possibly get. All right. So how much protein? Now, I wrote this down. Depending on your dog's age, um, you'll be looking at a mini- minimum of 18 to 29% protein in your dog's diet. Adult dogs need 18 to 25% protein, while growing puppies need more protein, like 29%. All right. So, um, again, I, you know, I just, I really, I really push for the home cooked because <laughs> I, I know where that meat is coming from. All right. It's a healthy protein source. You know, and I want to say this, and I will, I'm going to circle this right now. There we go. Um, dogfoodadvisor.com if you're not sure about the reading the label and all that stuff um go to dogfoodadvisor.com and they have a search bar that you could put in the dog food the kibble that you're using and it will give you a star rating about it whether it's a good dog food whether it's a middle of the road whether it's a low quality and it will give you the nutritional breakdown um, and it will even tell you about ingredients that are like questionable, um, whether they, they should be in your dog's food at all. Um, so yeah, if, if you're, you're curious and you just want to know, I love that. I love that website. And if you sign up for their newsletter, you will be in the know like that when there's a, a dog food recall or dog treat recall. So, and I think they're even trying to come out with a catfoodadvisor.com, which I would absolutely love. So dogfoodadvisor.com. They're phenomenal. Okay. Um, just want to touch base on a couple other things about the, um, the label. Okay, and the first one is uh, fats and carbohydrates. 
which do which do play an important role in our dog's diet and overall health. Um, fats, of course, provide energy and aid in digestion, and carbohydrates are also a source of fuel and fiber. So fats are important because they contain um, essential fatty acids that can't be produced by our dog's bodies. And these fatty acids help with the health of their um, skin and coat. Um, I have a couple of uh, residents here that have issues big time with that um, Atticus and um, and um, Brutus uh, constantly. Actually, their 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 coat is good. It's their skin that's definitely rough, and I'm always trying to put like salmon oil in their food or something along those lines. And and uh, green lipped muscle. That's another one. That's our favorite one. Green lipped muscle. <laughs> and of course, essential fatty acids also help with the immune system and their brain health. And I have little Mr. Brutus standing here right now, like looking at me, going, "Did I miss the evening walk?" <laughs> His brain is sharp. He knows he missed it. <laughs> um, but obviously, whether you know, we don't want bad fat. So, but if it's a good fat, obviously, we still have to have some sort of balance because um, even too much of a good fat is is not good. And on that note, I'm not opposed to um, animal fats um, like a, a, a good quality um, beef fat uh, as long as it's grass-fed, pasture-raised, grass-fed, and not um, grain-fed. Um, there is a difference. Um Saturated fats provide provide our dogs just like us. They provide our dog with uh, with energy and vitamins like A, D, E, and K. But again, too much saturated fat is um, it could lead to health problems, just like it could with us, whether it's grass fed or not. And you know, the, I just want to touch base on that for a second. So I, I think there is a difference um, whether it's grass fed or grain fed. Um, grain fed beef um, can cause a, a host of problems um, like chronic inflammation. So I try to I try to stay away from that as much as possible. Anyone who knows me knows I, I buy beef from a farmer. Uh, I even buy Wyoming beef and <laughs> have it shift, shipped here uh, because I'm I'm I um, I I know where it's coming from. I trust the people who are uh, raising the cattle um, that they are doing exactly what they are what they say they are doing. That it's that it's uh, grassed, prairie raised, grass fed, grass finished, and um, that's that's important to me. So I, I use that for myself and Mister Woody's place and the residents here of Woody's place. But all in all, I mean, I, I would say the best way to go would be um, with uh, essential fatty acids, which are um, polyunsaturated fats um, for, for your dog's health. Again, that would be like omega-3s and some omega-6. Um, again, we like, we like green-lipped muscle. Um, we, eggs, eggs is another uh, great source. Um, but pasture-raised eggs, again, um, 
I know people think I'm just kooky when I start talking about this, but it is true. So I've had chickens for a very, very long time now, and uh, my chickens are just out. <laughs> They're just out. They're in a building right now because it's dark outside. Um, I do lock them up at night, but during the day, they're just out. They're just out um, with the goats doing chicken things while the goats do goat things. And, um, you know, they, they have their, their, we literally have buildings they can go into, uh, if it's raining or inclement weather, um, there's places for them to hide. If, you know, there's predators, um, we, we, we're all fenced in here and then we have areas that are fenced in anyway. I don't even want to get on that topic, but the reason I say pasture raised eggs, um, for omega-3 fatty acids is because when you buy eggs at the grocery store, number one, I hate to break it to you, they're old. Try to do the float test sometime. <laughs> if your egg floats, it's old. It's like 30 days or more, um, So, which I think is kind of gross. Um, but anyway, they have less um, cholesterol in them because chickens truly are happier when they're just strutting around doing their thing without too much confining them, without too much stress. They don't produce um, as much cortisol as they do when they're factory um, factory farm-raised chickens, you know, in this 12 by 12 or 14 by 14 area with two or three other chickens, you know, stepping all over each other and stuff like that or smashed in these buildings, uh, which they... they you know, claim are um, cage free. Okay, they're not in cages, but they're still smashed into these buildings that they can't even walk around and they're diseased and, you know, some of them are dying even. It's just terrible. Um, so those eggs are not as healthy. This is why so many people are jumping on the bandwagon of getting chickens. Um, part of the reason I should say, um, <clears throat> Because they know that farm fresh eggs really are healthier. You can tell just by the yolk itself. In the store, when you get the yolk, they kind of look yellow, just pale, like anemic looking. That's not how they're supposed to look. They're supposed to be like an orange color. Um, and that's how our, our eggs are here. And I feel really good about providing them to my family, myself, my family, and to the residents of Woody's Place. Um, so if you're going to use eggs as a source of omega-3 fatty acids, try to get them from a local farmer if you don't have your own eggs. Literally, just go to a farm stand if you can and buy them from the farmer directly or somebody who may, might have a backyard flock that you might know about. Um, yes, you're going to pay a little bit more, but they certainly are better for you and your dog. So you want to aim for about 10% of your uh, of, of healthy fats for your dog's um, total daily diet, right? About 10%. Now, as for carbohydrates, you, you want to avoid, uh, you want to avoid starchy carbohydrates like potatoes or white rice and stuff like that. I mean, I know people want to do white rice if their dog is sick, maybe has some GI upset or whatever. Try to do brown rice instead of white rice. But if that's all you have, then that's okay. But you don't want to do that on a regular basis. Um, 
but approximately 5 to 10% tops of complex carbohydrates in your dog's diet is fine. Uh, that would be things like oatmeal and quinoa. I love doing oatmeal and quinoa for the dogs, and they love it too. So stick with the complex carbohydrates. I mean, if you think about it, it's just like us. They're, they're better for us too. And the last thing is, it's a red flag for me. Um, it's it's any any sort of um, artificial additives and and preservatives. Okay, we all know that there are, are uh, potential in, in, implications um, to our dog's health when there are things like additives and preservatives listed in the ingredients and found in the food itself. Now, of course. You're going to find them in in kibble because they're used to extend the shelf life of the kibble itself. So they kind of go hand in hand, additives, preservatives, and kibble. Um, but th that's still not a good thing, all right? Just because it's convenient and it can be on the shelf for 20 years and be fine until you open it doesn't mean that it's uh, it's good for our dog. Uh, our dogs, you know, these these synthetic compounds, um, they've been linked to a lot of health issues in our dogs, um, organ damage, inflammation, and, and the big one, cancer. I mean, canine cancer is just sky high right now, folks. And there, it's not a coincidence. It's not. It is, it, it correlates directly to what our dogs are eating. Food is medicine for us and for our dogs. And I understand kibble is convenient, but there is, there is a price to pay for it. All right, so uh, just to recap, okay, the dog food label format, again, the, the product brand name, that's, that's on there, um, quality um, in terms of product weight, liquid measurements, um, depending on the formulation of the food, whether it's kibble or dry, uh, it's got the guaranteed analysis, which I, I went over, um, the ingredients, the nutritional adequacy statement, feeding instructions, manufacturer's um, name and address, and the caloric statement um, is typically on there or should be. All right. So I know this was a lot. And um, I tried to cover as much as I could. I mean, I really could have gone into a lot more. I have notes all over my desk right here, like literally just notes all over the place because I was just trying to remember um, everything. And I've gone on for almost an hour now. Um, but literally, your dog's life depends on this. I, I mean, I don't mean to sound so dramatic or whatever, um, but it is true. Your dog's life depends on your ability to to not only select a dog food, but also to break down that label and know what's what, what what you want and what you should avoid, and how much to give in a day. Um, you know, to make sure that all of their nutritional needs are being met, right? You want to look for the quality protein that I was telling you about, either one, but no more than two, 
All right. You want to avoid things that say meal, entree, dinner, um, things of that nature, flavoring. You want to stay away from stuff like that. You want to stay away from additives and preservatives that you can't even pronounce because I can almost guarantee you it's pronouncing cancer. All right. You just want to stay away from things like that. You want to stay away from the, the, hidden fillers that I was telling you about, the um, splitting of the ingredients to make it look like uh, you you have less, we only have a little bit of pea protein and a little bit of pea starch and a little bit of pea powder. But at the end of the day, that little bit, little bit, little bit is actually most of the food, right? You want to stay away from stuff like that and you want to know how to recognize it when you're reading the label. Okay. And if you have any questions, you, you can message me. You can reach out to me. It's fine. Um, I'll try to help you as much as I can. Um, for those of you who don't know, I, I am a certified, a race certified pet nutrition coach. All right. I'm so glad that's over. <laughs> I just want to get into the fun stuff, making homemade food and, and telling, telling you all how I do it and, uh, hoping, hoping and praying that you'll be able to incorporate that into your dog's um, diet as well. Um, and again, I get the whole kibble thing. I still use it some too. I, I do. I, I mean, I think I, I, I mentioned um, last, the last really 14 days have been very, very hard for me. Uh, personally, we, we had some family things going on. I had my grandson here for 14 days on his um, spring break. Um, I'm a college student at Penn State again. I decided to go back to college and I had three midterms in the last week and I hosted Easter brunch on Sunday. There was a lot of stuff going on. I've been dealing with back problems. I have a bulging disc in my back that's been bothering me. There's been a lot that's been going on. Um, so I have relied more on kibble in the last 14 days than I have in a very long time. Um, we do use from, it is a high quality kibble, but I've mentioned it before the very process of making the kibble itself, um, kind of like sucks all the nutrients out and then they put it back in, in a, in a synthetic form, which isn't so great. Um, but I still do like when I'm, I'm doing like, um, the kibble, I'll put canned on top and it's, it's usually a higher end canned. Um, or I do home cooked and I give them all like home cooked on top of the kibble. Um, but it's hard. I get it. I get it. It's really hard. But if you, if you can even, if you can even provide your dog with a few home cooked meals a week, um, that would be fantastic. That, that would extend his life. Really, it will because he's getting those whole nutrients that you are providing him with. And not only does it make him feel better, it makes you feel better too. And one thing we're going to talk about moving forward is not every freaking meal you cook for your dog has to be perfectly nutritionally balanced. I don't care what some of these influencers online are saying. This is why people don't do it because they get so overwhelmed with what they can use, what they can't use, measuring this, measuring that, that they're just like, I can't even deal with that. I've got enough on my plate. Every meal does not have to be perfectly nutritionally balanced for your dog. It's not for us, right? <laughs> and we're here. But you do want to aim for 
meeting their nutritional um, needs within a certain amount of time, like a week or something like that. And we're going to talk about it, okay? But I had to cover this first. These are all my notes. <laughs> Double-sided. I don't know. Probably got about 10 pages here, but I'm so glad that's over. And I hope this helped you. And until next time, be well. Mm -hmm.